Hi guys, welcome to Books with Abna. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Mamle Wolo, author of The Kaya Girl. Mamle Wolo is an award-winning Ghanaian-German author who studied at the University of Cambridge at Lancaster University in the UK. She's an honorary fellow in writing of the University of Iowa. She's one of the directors of the Writers Project of Ghana. She writes fiction, poetry, and screenplays. Welcome, Mamle. Thank you. I liked how you described the life of a Kayo and life in Tolon. Take us through how you research and develop a character like Fazia. Where did you look? Who did you talk to to develop such a character? Um, the knowledge um, that helped me develop these characters came from um, my day job work, which is as a freelance consultant in social development, um, work which has taken me to all regions of Ghana, but I've spent most of that time in the north of Ghana um, in many, many different communities um, in what is now northern Savannah uh, regions and in the upper east and west as well. Um, and um, in particular, I, I researched um, issues relating to basic education and things like child labor and child right. protection. So I spoke a lot to children in the course of these um, different studies. And, um, and that is really what is behind um, yeah, the way that I write about such children. Um, it was very inspiring to meet such children. I met many children like Pfizer who, um, who do not come from wealthy backgrounds, but who are very intelligent and who were very interesting to speak to. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so yes, drawing on, on this experience made it easy for me to develop a character like Pfizer. Okay. So one of the themes that actually stood out for me was the healthy relationship between Abna and her father. Mm-hmm. It was intimate, it was beautiful. It's not something that you typically find emphasized in Ghanaian literature, something that I appreciate that you did in the book. Was there any reason for the emphasis on this particular relationship? Um, I, I don't think I noticed it until later, but I think I put a lot of my own father in the book. Right. Yes, and perhaps that also um, reflects my relationship with my father, um, especially perhaps a bit later um, when I was probably a bit older than um, Abna in the book. But um, yes, I found I could talk to him about things um and i mean remember abna's mother is also away at this time um but even when her mother comes back you see that she and her father have a special relationship um i think also perhaps and maybe i did this subconsciously as well but the link between faiza and abna's father is that they both come from humble backgrounds and they both do exceedingly well in life um ultimately they're both very intelligent and they're both willing to um, take risks and to be open to new experiences and they both approach life with with um without a prejudiced Mm -hmm. lens they're Mm -hmm. ready to learn things and interact with people without judging um, so I think that's part of what was behind it, that I, I needed somebody in Abana's life who could make her realize that there was nothing wrong with becoming friends with a girl like Faiza just because of her background. Yeah. Um, and to realize that even she herself came from that because that was what her father was. Um, and to take pride in, in the, um, the amazing trajectory of, of people like that rather than look down on them as many people would, yeah. you know. Um, so yes, I think that those are some of the elements um, right. that shaped that particular relationship. I mean, it was very beautiful. I 
I read a lot of Ghanaian literature, so mm-hmm. I mean, at a point I was like, oh my god, this is beautiful. This whole relationship <laughs> thing between a daughter and a father, because Ghanaian books will talk about fathers some way. Trust me. Yes, Ghanaian yes, fathers yes. actually <laughs> are some way, so yes. we get to talk about them some way in books. That's true. So, they do tend to be um, authoritarian figures. Yeah. Um, but I think with my father, although I could see him as in that light, and and you know, traditionally, yes, he was because he was a Ghanaian father, and he did become a chief later on, and so on and I could see how people would treat him with reverence and so mm-hmm. on but um, he always had that side of him that was for us and was very approachable right. um, and I remember even when we were little sometimes we'd go to my parents bed and we'd just joke around with them and you know <laughs> one of the things I remember is one day he convinced me that a scholar boat was a small scholarship <laughs> 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 and then when he saw how seriously I took it, he said, oh, I'm joking, you know, but, well, you know, just times like that, um, you know, um, yeah, behind the authoritarian figure, yeah. you know, it's like watching, I don't know, lions play with their cubs, you know, there's always, when yeah. you are, um, when you have a, a relationship, a certain relationship with the person, you can get, there are times when you're allowed to go uh, beneath the yeah. authoritarian, um, yeah. So, let's, let's come, let's mm-hmm. talk about Western traditional press. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you learn this publishing deal? Because mm-hmm. I think before we spoke about the fact that it's been published by TechMates and then Insona Books. That's right. Um, so how did you, what was the process for The Care Girl published by Little Brown and Company? Um, it was when I was able to get an agent. Um, I got an agent in, in the States um, right. called Charlotte Sheedy. Were you actively searching? Yes, I agent? was searching. Okay. But I got her by being recommended by another writer who is Good. a friend. Um, and um, through that, um, I was able to make a submission. And um, Charlotte accepted my submission. It was actually the Kaya girl. She loved it. Yeah. Um, and so that was how it happened. And so once Charlotte took me on as an agent, she then found me the deal with Little Brown. What? Yes. Let's, let's give it some time, duration. So when did all of this happen? Good question. Um, I think I approached Charlotte in 2019. Wow. Uh, yes, late 2019. And um, and she took me on in late 2019. I think that's, that's when that happened. And then uh, somewhere in 2020, she found me the... She, she sold my book to Little Brown. Wow. Yes. And so Little Brown then um, gave me a two-book deal, um, The Kaya Girl being one of those two. Okay. Um, and then optioned a third as well, all children's books, because this is... Uh, little brown books for young readers yeah. which is a section of little brown um and so the publication date for the kaya girl was summer 2022 right from then okay so once uh, little brown uh, once we signed the contract uh, they appointed me an editor right wonderful wonderful woman called susan rich um and i started working with susan um and um and so we worked on the kaya girl for quite a few months um and then and then it was then we got to the sort of copy editing stage where my work with her was mainly done and then it was people looking at you know Uh, things like you know typos and so on and so forth and uh small issues um and then yeah and then stuff like choosing the cover and and all that the fun stuff so so let's talk about ganyan publishers wait before we do (laughs) if i could just um you know, I said I, I got a two-book deal, so I just want to mention that there will be another book um, wow. published by Little Brown, uh, another of my books called Flying Through Water, which will come out next year. Ah, yes. we can't wait. <laughs> so let's talk about Ghanaian publishing versus mm-hmm. 
Western right. publishers. Mm-hmm. I want to ask a very controversial question. Oh, go ahead. What was the amount you got from the publishing deal, traditional press, versus what you got from the Ghanaian publishers? Which one do you think was good? Which yeah. one did you go for and everything? Well, I'm not going to name amounts, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember some of them. Um, but, um, but I can certainly put things in perspective for you. So, um, so, so before the book, before the Kaya Girl, the old version of it got onto the curriculum, um, I'm not sure I ever actually made any profit at all. I mean, Nothing. I think, I think um, what I what I made was went into buying books for myself and my family. Yeah, almost nothing. Yeah. Wow. Um, yes. In fact, I, I really can't say I made any money that I even remember. Yes. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> then when I got the book onto the curriculum, well, when I was approached by a publisher who, who wanted to get it on the curriculum, they gave me a lump sum for it, um, wow. which was a good, um, it was much more yes much more the kind of money that you can actually (laughs) use to sort of you know survive um uh so that was viable i'd say that getting a book on the curriculum makes it a viable financial prospect um and getting it sold in america was similar that it was it's also viable and that's money you can actually do something with you can say okay i'm going to use this money to take some time off my other work and write because it can help you it can keep you going that's nice yes um but the money that i made before it got onto the curriculum and before it got out of ghana was not money to live on Definitely not. Yeah, absolutely not. Oh, and yeah, I was thinking writers <laughs> actually make a lot of money. Um, I, I was about to quit my nine to five just to be a writer. <laughs> Even I haven't quit my nine to five yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I said I was never nine to five because it's freelance. But you know, I haven't quit my day job. Um, and I don't advise people do. I think. Um, I think the point that I would make here is that um, I wouldn't want to put the blame too much on Ghanaian publishers. Mm-hmm. I think Ghanaian publishers are, um, are doing business like anybody else who's doing yeah. business. Um, and you need um, a market to do business. And that's really where the problem is. You know, So Ghanaian publishers tailor what they sell towards the market because otherwise they needn't bother setting up publishing companies. I mean, nobody right. sets up a business to make a loss. You yeah. know, um, and, and so then we must look at the market and... Um, and let's look at the harsh reality. Even let's look at the reading capacity. Yeah. And through the kind of research I told you that I do and have done for years, um, I can confidently tell you that even though our national literacy statistics are above 50%, the reality um, about functional literacy, not just any literacy, is different. Oh. Yes, because functional literacy means you can actually use it for something. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can recognize some letters of the alphabet or spell a few words. Mm-hmm. It means that you can use it for something in your day-to-day life. And the number of people in Ghana who can use literacy in their day-to-day life confidently um, is, is not comparable to the Western world. Oh. No, absolutely not. And then secondly, um, the number of people who can use literacy to the extent that they would read for pleasure or read competently as part of their everyday life, then you're really down to a very low number. And, and then even when you're looking at people reading for pleasure, um, the kinds of materials that they choose are usually not what we classify yeah. as literature. Yeah, They may be pulp fiction or um, genre literature like romance or mystery or whatever. And yeah. often they're reading foreign books for those things. Yeah. Um, and so the, the real market for literature written by Ghanaians or literal, uh, uh, home authors, it could be less than 1%. That is not a market that you do business with. True. So you can't really blame the publishers. 
Now we'll try and find ways to say Ghanaian publishers are doing everything but nothing. <laughs> so let's let's talk about your book still, The Kaya Girl. Mm-hmm. Did you have to change anything for this um, little brown edition? Did you have to make any major changes for this particular edition? Um, I didn't make major changes, but I did expand the book quite a lot. I expanded the story quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons for that was that... Um, the book was now traveling outside of a world where people understood most of its references. Yeah. Um, even within Ghana, you know, the original copy had a glossary at the back. Yeah. Yes, because Ghana is a very multicultural, a very multilingual country. And so even within Ghana, some people might need help, you know, with, with certain references. Um, and um, But when it was going to be published abroad, I decided I didn't want a glossary anymore. I wanted to be able to... Um, incorporates me- all the meaning that anybody needed into the story itself. Right. Um, and so I worked towards that. And sometimes that meant expanding the story in ways that um, it hadn't been or in the first edition. Okay. So I don't know if you remember the bit where um, Abna's father goes and brings a globe and shows her the, uh, or an atlas, and shows her the colonial borders yes. of West yes. Africa. Um, and that was actually a way to try and make people understand, yeah, some of the references to um, our linguistic and cultural diversity, and um, some of the things that we under we get in Ghana, we get in West Africa because we live with them, but people outside just don't really understand, yeah. you know. Um, for example, one of the questions I got asked during the editorial process was, "Why does everybody in Ghana speak English?" <laughs> and I said, "Same reason you guys speak English because we're colonized by the same True. people, you know." Um, and and often people don't realize how the patterns of colonization worldwide they really don't, you know. Um, for example, when I went to Singapore, I was like, one day it just struck me that if it hadn't been colonized by the British, I wouldn't be able to communicate with the with people them. there. Yes, yeah. you know. So, um, not to say that it's necessarily a good thing to be colonized, but sometimes we just don't even realize we, you know, the effects of it. Yeah. So, so to explain some of the things that readers there might not get, but to do it in a way that did not interrupt the flow of the story, that involved a lot of expansion of yeah. the story. And then um, one significant thing that's different as well is that um, the book was classified as middle grade um, by Little Brown, um, and. Um, and for middle grade books, or for, let's say for children's books, often publishers don't really like the main characters to grow up into adults. Okay. Yeah. Um, whereas this does happen in, in The Kaya yeah, Girl. I mean, the part two. Yes. So they do grow up in the story. Um, and this was a sticking point. In fact, I tried to get this book published abroad for some time and I hadn't succeeded because of this. Because, okay. yes, because um, for the children's book market, they like the characters to remain children all the way through. Um, and so this was actually a bit of a leap of faith that both my agent and, and the, the publishing company took, that they were going to take on this book where the children grew up and one of them even had children, you yeah. know, uh, which is quite unusual for a children's book. So um, so they, they wanted me to sort of reduce the amount of time that was spent with the children being grown up in the story okay. yes and so the part one part two structure was one of the ways we came about to do that okay um it wasn't um we didn't leave out too much but we kind of embedded some of it in in the story that um that Pfizer or abna later told Pfizer when they met as adults met. yeah rather than actually making it sort of in real time so that compressed the adult part a part. little bit so that was okay. one of the other changes that okay i happened. have not read the Ghanian. Oh, I see. I okay. this is my first. So, 
I was very curious to know the changes that you have made. You pointed yes. out, and then I try and look for the Ghanaian one, and then oh, now okay, which I've told me I brought you a copy. Yeah. <laughs> I make my comparison. Yeah. So let's let's talk about Writers Projects of Ghana. Mm-hmm. You are one of the directors. Yes. Um, bef- maybe before we go to what the Writers Projects of Ghana you do let's talk about some of the challenges writers face here yeah in ghana i mean we started talking about it earlier yes and we've talked about one of the biggest ones which is is getting published you know um it it really is a big challenge because even if you do get published um making money out of being published is is a a very difficult um, but i think my question will be and for Mm -hmm. some time i have this question in my mind do we have writers here in Ghana? Do we oh, yes. have do we have people that would take the place of Amataido? Do we have the people that would take the place of um all these big names that we know when I mean it, it feels like we are still stuck in that century and then the new writers are not doing too much because I'm comparing Ghanaian writers to Kenyan writers. Ugandan writers and Nigerian writers. Mm-hmm. For Nigeria, it's a lot. Yes. Everywhere you look, or everywhere yeah. you turn, yeah. there are Nigerian writers. There are Nigerian books. I mean, if yeah. you look at the um, new releases for this year, 2022, mm-hmm. it's just Nigerian everywhere. Yes. So I, I keep asking myself, is it that the Ghanaians are not doing so much? What is it that the Nigerians are doing or Kenyan Ugandans are doing that we are not doing? Yeah, well, first of all, don't forget that um, the Nigerians outnumber us by about 10 to 1. Oh, yes. <laughs> that country is big. Despite that, um, yes, I think Nigeria does brilliantly in the literary world. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, and so does Kenya. I think we actually kind of have a triangle. This Kenya... Um, Nigeria and South Africa are the main sort of, you know, beacons of literary prowess in yeah. Africa. Um, Ghana is coming up. There's no doubt about it. Um, this year, two Ghanaian writers were shortlisted for the Kane Prize for African Writing, which yeah. is uh, one of the best known literary prizes for the continent, even though it's it's administered outside of uh, Africa. Um, there's no doubt that Ghana is coming up. We certainly have, um, I don't think there's any generation that lacks writers of stature yeah, sure. at all, ever. The question is, do those writers find their way to the writing, into the writing community? Right. And once they get there, if they do, how vibrant is the community? How capable is the community of taking them to that level where their names will become known and where their books will become published and the world will find out that they exist? Yes, yes. Um, and this is really what we're struggling with. It's one of the reasons why the Writers Project of Ghana exists. And I'm happy to say many other groups have formed you know, um, in recent years to promote literary um, platforms in Ghana. Mm-hmm. So don't doubt it for one minute. Um, you're going to hear more and more Ghanaian names. Right. Definitely. There's no doubt about it. And um, I can say that with confidence because the Writers Project of Ghana, which is, um, I think, over a decade old now, I, we've done so much work for that specifically. True. And we know a lot of the young writers who are coming up. Um, and it's it's very exciting. There are some massive talents, I can assure you. We can't um, wait for them. <laughs> you will meet them. <laughs> we, we can't wait. And you will read them in future years, yes. But um, tell us about the Writers Project of Ghana. What do you do? Yeah. Um, what, yeah. What's, first off, what solution do you seek to put out there in the mm-hmm. literary space? And what are some of the challenges that you face? Yes, okay. So um, the Writers Project of Ghana was originally founded by uh, Martin Egblewogbe, one of my co-directors, um, and Laban Hill, who is an American poet who at that time 
uh, came to Ghana to um, work on a poetry project which Martin got involved with. with. Um, and um, Martin has really been the person who has taken the Writers Project forward very vigorously. Um, and some of the activities that the project does are, um, or, and has done in the past are book clubs, yeah. uh, readings. So we have a monthly reading called Ghana Voices, uh, where we usually highlight a, a published writer who interacts with audiences and promotes their books. And then we also have a radio show every yeah. Sunday, um, Writers Project on City between 8.30 and 9.30 p.m. on City FM. Um, and our big festival every year, the Pejah Festival, which uh, we're only two, two and a half weeks away from now, yeah. um, it's going to take place on, on the it's going to take place between the 14th and 16th of October this year. Okay. We are we are live on the ground for the first time properly since uh, COVID, so this is going to be a really good festival. Um, and the festival features um, literary artists of many different um, persuasions. I mean, <laughs> just give us an idea. Yes. so that we'll be able to so we have panels discussion panels with writers from many different places um this year we have writers from all over africa um many nigerian writers who are well known we have writers coming in from kenya and south africa oh, we have writers coming from america um and uh i don't even know where they're all coming from but <laughs> we have quite a few <laughs> yes. um and um yeah so we'll have things like readings and discussion panels we're going to have workshops on many Fine. different topics. This year we have workshops on blogging, blogging for business. We have workshops on poetry, uh, workshops on, um, I think, journalism, all kinds of, yeah. They're, they're good, you know, very good workshops. And then um, we'll be highlighting things like the um, the Kane Prize workshop, which this year took place in Ghana. So we're yeah. going to have a panel composed yeah. of people who participated. Uh, we're going to have publishers talking about publishing. Um, and a lot of book sales. I mean, that's that's fun. I can't <laughs> wait. I come for Pajai every time. So Good. I mean, I can't wait to <laughs> look forward years. to seeing you there. Yeah. But so just to finish up this conversation, yeah. in the next five years, where do you see Ghana's literary space? I think in the next five years, you won't be asking me the question that you asked oh, me just now. Oh, we thank God. I'm you. you. <laughs> we'll have this conversation over and over no. and over again. <laughs> Very exciting things are happening. Yeah, honestly, they really are. Um, I think in the next five years, Ghanaian writers are going to be more prominent internationally. You think in the next five years, we'll have a booker shortlist here in Ghana? I hope so. I hope so. I really do. Sometimes I just feel like it's not happening. When will it's will. It's will. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. It will Writers, please hurry up. It's taking a long time. But you know, it's not an easy terrain, and it's not. It's not as one that is supported very much. I mean. We're out there fighting, really. And and yeah. somebody like Martin, for example, I mean, <laughs> Martin is, is a full-time physics professor yeah. at the University of Ghana. I mean, you know, it's just dedication that makes people do these True. things, you know, because they have to use their own time a lot of the time to, and, you know, they're not being paid for what they're doing. Um, there isn't a sort of receptive environment a lot of the time. Often you'll find a lot of expatriates coming to our readings, you know. Um, yeah. We don't have that many Ghanaians coming yes. to our readings. And we don't get government grants and, you know, stuff that people get for the arts in other countries. Um, I have a friend from Iceland who actually gets paid by her government to be a writer. Can you imagine? Ooh, <laughs> interesting. You know, um, and in many countries, South Africa, for example, people can apply for grants for the arts and so on. In Ghana, it's, it's, not, it's not happening. No, it's not happening. So we are fighting kind of solo, you know, we are fighting solo in the sense that 
we are not being backed by government or anything like that. We Nothing. have to go out finding pots of funding here and there. Yeah. But I'm very happy to say that this year, um, something that I have been hoping for, um, we have um, at least one corporate sponsor from Ghana. That's Anglo Gold Ashanti. Yes, wow. for Pija. Wow. And last wow. year we had um, C. Werman, which is a German company based in Ghana. And I'm hoping that we will increase our funding base from local uh, business and industry yeah. because I think that's the most sustainable form of funding. Right. Um, but it's not easy, I'm telling you. So it's not that there isn't the will, but just getting the funds to it's make this happen is really difficult. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you so yeah, much, Mamle, for... <laughs> for coming to my podcast thank you for honoring my invitation when i i reached out thank you for reading the book and highlighting my work oh yeah you you're about <laughs> to see your review so you just <laughs> oh <give me> some <laughs> time. great so um where do we follow you on twitter instagram facebook yeah facebook uh mamle wolo and instagram instagram as well yes. and for the writers project of ghana oh everything for Facebook, name Instagram, and then... We are on everything. Okay. Yes. That's, that's, that's good. Yes, yes. <laughs> this show is powered by the Gold Coast Report. To listen to previous and subsequent episodes, please follow them on Twitter at GCR Labs and the Gold Coast Report on Instagram. And follow me. Instagram is Bookish Abna and Twitter is Abna Marian. Um, until then, bye. <laughs> This has been a Gold Coast Reports production. Catch up on episodes and discover more shows from our network on listen to GCR dot com.